We are back, and this is hour two of Ariva Martin in real time. And in this hour, we are talking about how universities are responding uh, to the Israeli-Palestinian crisis, and particularly how they are treating, or you know, whether it's good or bad, students who have spoken out in favor of Palestinians. We've heard about uh, doxing and uh, billboard trucks driving around Harvard's campus, digitally displaying the names and faces of students who allegedly uh, were affiliated with student groups that signed on to a controversial statement regarding Hamas's attack on Israel. Uh, we just talked to uh, a student from Columbia Law School who told us that he feels pretty good about the way Columbia is handling uh, students and offering to be supportive there. But uh, that doesn't seem to be the case on all of these campuses. Uh, in this hour, Johanna Mosca, who is a News Nation political correspondent and former advisor to President Barack Obama, is joining us, as well as Kristen Shaverdian. She is a manager at Free Expression and Education Pen America. Uh, thank you both, ladies, for joining. You heard uh, Justin, a Columbia Law student, talk about his experiences and what has been happening on Columbia's campus. And we're going to talk a lot about how Harvard uh, has responded in some of these other colleges. But uh, Johanna, you have some unique experience. You traveled actually to Israel uh, and Palestine with President Barack Obama. So help us understand what it's like for Biden to be preparing to go to Israel tomorrow. What are the risks, both to his personal safety as well as the political risk of him going to Israel in the height of this crisis? Well, and Ariva, you said it, right? This is a contentious time in our country and around the world. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who are saying things that are probably regrettable. Um, President Biden is trying to show his force on the side of Israel, a democracy uh, that has been the most progressive democracy in the Middle East. Uh, he is going there at a time of significant conflict. And so for something like that, you know, just to take the president anywhere, it takes a massive amount of military footprint because you essentially are moving the command center. You're moving the situation room overseas so that the president of the United States can command from anywhere they are. Now they're doing that into a war zone at a heightened time where they were planning, of course, meetings with Palestinians leader and uh, with the Jordanian leader. And unfortunately, those meetings are all fluid and they're changing. So on the political risk side, you know, he's put a lot out there to go there to say that he's doing these meetings and we don't know what's going to unfold. Normally, these events have months of planning in advance. And this was put together at the last minute. So uh, I will be. What do you think? Let me ask you this. Why do you think it's important uh, why Biden make the decision to go that he obviously thinks is very important for him to be there, not just his secretary of state. And why are these meetings changing? You know, he has said over and over since his election that he feels like we are at a precipitous time in the world and that it is a argument of democracy versus autocracy and that we are in this battle for really the freedom that we value worldwide. He sees that conflict up close right here. Hamas is not an elected, a duly elected leader of the Gaza Strip. They took power in a coup. They are a terrorist organization that went into Israel, raped and pillaged 
people in the largest attack since the Holocaust. That is significant. Every time President Biden goes overseas at times like this, even when he was in Ukraine, I think about if FDR had taken that step before World War II all unfolded. At the most pressing time in that history, would it be different? And I mm -hmm. think that's what Biden really believes, that he can be that leader who goes there, puts himself on the line. He knows this is risky. He knows the Jordanians don't have a lot to gain politically, and they may pull out of meeting with him. And yet they're going to go forward with this meeting because he wants to go and he wants to show the strength. And clearly he has something he wants to say. And real quickly, what about this humanitarian crisis that is being created? We have the Red Cross and UN representatives condemning Israel for not allowing food and water and electricity to, uh, you know, make its way to Palestinian civilians. What is Biden going to say to Netanyahu about that? It's heart-wrenching. And I remember touring Ramallah with President Obama, and we went to an Intel tech lab, and we met little kids there who had these big dreams. They wanted to be the next Mark Zuckerberg and create technology that would get them out of the walls that they found themselves in because of the leadership that they were under. They have big dreams, and right now, those kids are absolutely in a position where, because of a terrorist action, they are now finding themselves the victim again. And I should mention victim again because they were already victim to Hamas. What the Biden administration is trying to do is delicately balance this. And the truth is, I remember coming out to Los Angeles after the Obama administration and being asked, why did President Obama drone children in Syria? And I, you know, said there's never a good decision that gets to the president of the United States. He's thinking through if he doesn't do this drone strike, then they were very likely to attack the United States. There is never a good, easy decision or it is made before the president of the United States. These are the things that we grapple with. And the truth is with Hamas and with Hezbollah continuing to threaten this region and threaten the Israelis with this attack, the most significant since World War II, we are not safe. None of us are safe. Our freedoms are not safe. And the Biden administration has to explain that to, to everyone and look at balancing it with trying to negotiate through the embassies some aid convoys that can get in. When we come forward, we'll talk about this risky trip uh, Joe Biden is taking tomorrow and some of the largest law firms in this country have rescinded offers to students who have spoken out in support of Palestine and the Palestinian community. What does that mean for the First Amendment when we come forward? KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back with Johanna Mosca. She is a News Nation political correspondent and former advisor to President Barack Obama. And Kristen Schaub Ferdian is here. She is a senior manager at Free Expression and Education, PEN America. And we are talking about how college universities, uh, colleges and universities, their presidents in particular and their spokespersons are handling students, students who have issued statements, uh, pro-Palestinian statements after Hamas's attack on Israel last weekend. Uh, let me get you into this conversation, Kristen. What was your response as you started to see these stories 
of mm-hmm. big law firms and corporate executives demanding that Harvard provide the names and identities mm-hmm. of individual students that had signed on to some of these what they call controversial letters, and then making statements on Twitter, uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, that uh, they wanted to know these students' names so that they could never hire them. Uh, this was a uh, president of, uh, I think, uh, I think a couple of these big companies have done this. Mm-hmm. Tell me your response. Yeah, um, thank you for having me here. Absolutely. So, you know, we really, really feel very strongly that this um, coming out to expose students' personal information based on their speech is absolutely wrong. Um, intimidating students based on their speech is wrong. Um, we cannot tolerate doxing of students. Um, and while companies, private companies, do have the right to, to make choices about who they're hiring, um, to hold that as a threat against students, to really um, demand of universities that really release names to students is absolutely wrong. And we really want to see universities in this case um, protect the privacy of their students, reach out and offer support. And that might be um, one-on-one reaching out to students specifically who they know have been targeted here, um, asking them if they're safe, what do they need, to all students, giving them support and resources on how to protect themselves from doxing, but really um, being very clear that they are going to uh, protect uh, students on their campuses, protect their identities, protect them in, in digital spaces is really important. Yeah. So on October 10th, Sweet Green CEO Jonathan Neiman posted on X, formerly Twitter, that he would like to know which students signed the Harvard statement, quote, so I know never to hire these people, quote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Easy Health CEO's David Duell uh, replied to Neiman with, you know, posting same. And we know some prop, uh, very prominent donors of Harvard, apparently this woman who's uh, former CEO of Victoria's Secret, uh, heir to the Wexner Foundation or Wexner family, has cut her ties with Harvard. Joanna, what do you make of these large you know, companies, their CEOs going on social media, posting that they want the names of students so that they can never hire them? Ariva, I'm shocked. I mean, honestly, we need adults in the room because a lot of people have said stupid things after this attack. President Trump essentially said Hezbollah, a terrorist organization, was smart and that Bibi Netanyahu in not supporting his action was stupid. And yet we had CEOs calling for students who had signed a letter. And I understand that there are many and it who believe it was ignorant. And it was, it was ill-informed. The statement was ill-informed and some people probably didn't even read the statement. But kids, students, this is what they do. I mean, during the Vietnam War, how many people burned the American flag? And did we have CEOs at that time saying that these people will never be hired? You know, the selective outrage is what I don't understand because Mm -hmm. these students will learn, but President Trump has proven he's not going to learn and he is yet again close to shoring up the Republican nomination for president. I'm glad you brought that up, Johanna, because if you think about all the attacks that Trump has made on every institution in this country, 
every group of people, how he has maligned the African-American prosecutors in New York, uh, the judge, the African-American female judge in his federal, you know, subversion of, of democracy case, what names he's called these jurists, these outstanding black jurists. And we've not heard these companies take to social media with their outrage, wanting to know, like, you know, Donald Trump, give me back every dime I've donated to you and telling their Republican friends, don't vote for this guy. So that that is really what is so irritating about these comments is, yes, people have a First Amendment right, Kristen, to say whatever it is they choose. But why mm -hmm. is it in this moment that the students, not the adults who are making stupid statements, because Donald Trump is not alone, but why? the students? Why are these powerful, powerful people going after students who have mm -hmm. to be so confused, so uh, ill-informed? I mean, and even if you have a PhD in history, you probably still don't know enough about the nuances of this conflict. But here are students, mm -hmm. and, and we're talking Harvard College in many cases, uh, these kids could be 17 years old, very impressionable, not fully developed, maybe going with the flow, maybe feeling the need to say something. But the grown people aren't getting the same backlash. That's absolutely right. I mean, I think that's, that's really true. And I think one thing we can really think about is that students are on campus to learn how to be citizens, right? To learn how to um, have difficult conversations, to talk across difference, to, you know, really dig into these really, really hard questions that adults haven't you know, figured out many of them, right? And I don't think we're modeling that enough for them. I don't think we're teaching that to them enough. And in this instance, I think that they've become, you know, a really easy target for people mm -hmm. outside. I mean, I think generally we have seen that there is a lot of attention placed on these um, sort of big uh, things that are happening on campus, whether it's a speaker coming to campus or in this case, this um, particular um, conflict that we're seeing on campus has become really kind of fodder for our larger, you know, larger like discourse throughout the country. And so we really see that coming down on students right now. And how do we, Johanna, really, I think in this moment, convey to these students that they are not alone, that we support them? Because Justin uh, didn't speak about it in detail, but in my pre-production meeting, he talked about students feeling isolated, feelings, uh, anxiety, depression, feeling really, really scared that they may be physically attacked, scared about their futures now, what's going to happen in terms of their careers. We know that uh, some big law firms have uh, retracted offers mm -hmm. that were made to third-year law students. So here you are, a third-year law student, you think you have your job all, you know, uh, worked out, you know where you're going and take the bar in July. And now all of a sudden you don't have a job. So we can only imagine the, the level of, you know, anxiety this is creating. Is there anything we can do? I mean, obviously we're not the presidents on these college campuses, but I just feel like as women, as mothers, as, you know, outspoken people with a platform, we should be doing something. Well, and that's right. As a mom, I, I think mm -hmm. about cyberbullying. And this mm -hmm. is cyberbullying from CEOs who should know better. Right. Now, what I think we can do is we can tell students that none of us are as worse as our worst moment. And we've mm -hmm. all had 
moments. I remember being part of moments that got, you know, the ire of Congress and worried about being called up to testify before Congress. And these students are strong. Now, one thing I'll say is I do question university leadership that so functions at the whim of uh, either a student protest or mm -hmm. a donor, uh, you know, pulling out their phone call. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like there, there really is a question to me, you know, what is the purpose of this university? And to me, it is absolutely training our next generation to be the best and the brightest and the leaders of our future. And I do worry if we've lost some of that. I mean, I've talked to professors who talk about some of their colleagues are more concerned about their own prizes and their own uh, you know, publishings than they are teaching the next generation of students. I am all up for talking about education reform and I question what kind of institutions are not fostering the kind of dialogue that they need to learn and to grow because we all need to learn and grow. But I think these students, we should tell them that they're absolutely, this too shall pass. We mm -hmm. will see another day and that you will be hired because mm -hmm. you're very smart. Yeah, <laughs> I, wish I, I wish some of these big law firms would step up and hire these folks, these young people who have lost their jobs. And I wish some of these big corporations would counter the comments from these CEOs and let these students know you are welcome here. And everything you've done in your academic career has not been erased because of one statement that you made in a moment of crisis. Uh, when we come mm -hmm. forward, talk about what may be the shifting narrative and the shifting mood of the country as we watch this humanitarian crisis continue to develop in the Gaza Strip. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. All right, uh, we're back with Johanna Mosca and Christian Shabadarian, and we're talking about, you know, what what's likely to happen over the next couple of weeks as this crisis continue. We know that Israel is planning a ground strike, a pretty massive ground strike against uh, the Palestinians. They said the only way that they can annihilate Hamas is to go into the Gaza Strip because they said that's where Hamas is hiding, that they're hiding in schools and hospitals and residential neighborhoods. And that you know, this is likely to cause a lot of collateral damage. We're going to see many, many, many more mangled uh, bodies and uh, bloodied kids. Uh, what do you think is going to happen, Jonna, to the, the mood of the U.S.? You know, we're not accustomed to seeing this level of carnage, uh, you know, on our daily news. You know, we, we have car chases. That's the five or six o'clock news in America. So do you see the attitudes towards Israel shifting if there's not, you know, some efforts made to minimize the uh, deaths of civilians? Well, I think, unfortunately, what I see over and over that's happened in covering these kinds of conflicts is that, unfortunately, they start to fade from the the front uh, papers, the front of the paper, the front of the news stories. And uh, and we saw that right, right in Ukraine. I mean, we've seen um, the Americans' appetite kind of sour on defending the Ukrainian people, even though Vladimir Putin is kidnapping children in Ukraine, has been killing people 
um, this is a war and yet we're not seeing those mangled images. Uh, what's going to unfold in any conflict is just absolutely awful. And, um, you know, I, I know my heart breaks for any of these people who get in that conflict. You as a leader, as President Biden is making these extraordinarily tough decisions, there's no easy decision. But I often said, I don't think we cover enough the conflicts that are very real for people. Burma, there's a gen genocide that was happening in Myanmar. Uh, the government, of course, took over. There was very little coverage in the Western press about it. China, there's a genocide. There's very little Western coverage about it. There's been multiple coups in African countries that have led to massive starvation. I mean, you have Cindy McCain warning about the starvation, the starvation that's also in part because we're not getting the same grain that we had from Ukraine. Ukraine was the breadbasket. It was like the California of the region. It was giving people food. And all of these things are interconnected. And what happens too often I see is that people want to do the fly in for the war coverage and then they leave. And then mm -hmm. all sorts of innocent people are left behind and they'll message some of us on social media and they'll be desperate for any help. They'll say, please, please, you have power. And you say, without this being the front of the headline, you know, the reality is oftentimes the politicians can't get the funding. Like I said, we're already having funding fights over Ukraine's funding. And certainly there's a fight in America about how much we should intervene in any of the world's conflicts right now. No, that's right. Uh, Ukraine was the biggest news story for a while. Uh, and the news does grow tired of stories. I mean, just our 24-hour news cycle, something will knock this story off the front page and the you know news will be chasing something else. But are you concerned at all, Kristen, about you know, how this narrative might shift as this humanitarian crisis plays out and what that might mean for students. Because uh, what some of these students have tried to do, and maybe not as artfully as adults mm -hmm. would like them to do, is just express their concern and outrage for the civilians, for the Palestinians mm -hmm. who do not support Hamas. And unfortunately, uh, in this moment, it seems like even if you make a statement about, you know, a statement of empathy for those innocent women and children and families in uh, the Palestine, that in Palestine, you are somehow labeled anti-Semitic. So uh, is this a topic you would tell students to just stay away from altogether? Well, I think, you know, I never want to tell students to stay away from a topic. I want them to feel really supported and like, and that their speech matters, their opinion matters. And this is what can happen in higher ed. Um, I think no matter what, the next few weeks in higher ed are going to be challenging. And this is a time when leadership can really step up and they can make sure that they are being very clear and firm that they are supporting all student speech, regardless of the speech, regardless if they don't like the speech, they're going to support and protect all student speech. And I think that is one of the, the strongest things that universities can do at this time. Um, and they can back it up by supporting all students because we know a lot of students are hurting right now. They're afraid. Um, they're going through this perhaps personally, but they're also, you know, afraid for, for many levels, their own safety, perhaps. And universities can really make sure they're also supporting those students during this time. 
And, and that's a really good point. And Johanna, also during this time, how should all of us and students in particular be reading the news? Because today the New York Times broke the story that there had been an attack on this hospital. Uh, 500 Palestinians were dead. And they expected there to be a lot more. The Palestinians uh, blamed the Israelis. The Israelis then blamed the Palestinians. And we know there's so much disinformation, so much misinformation, and it's targeted to certain groups of people. Primarily, uh, we see in election time, a lot of it's targeted to black voters. How should we be reading the news? Because we're getting conflicting stories. Who bombed who? And that's only going to get worse because each side is going to be blaming the other side for some of these atrocities that we see. And it's very confusing for all of us. Uh, but but particularly for students don't have who don't have a lot of time to sit down and you know watch every cable station read every online newspaper what, what advice do you have for folks who are trying to make sense out of what's true and what's false well and that's right we've had this um real uprising of influencers who don't have all the information that they mm -hmm. need and now you see some of those influencers getting in trouble because they're retweeting something without evidence or they're, you know, bringing up something without the full context of it. Um, free speech, I should say, is this is what we fought for. We fought for the right for any student at any university to defend anything. If they're defending Hamas, they have that right. It's ugly, just as ugly as it is having the right for someone who has the views of the KKK to express their views. But that is what we fought for freedom of speech so that they can say whatever they want. Now, on how you're consuming news, that is really important. And I think the vast majority of us want to be informed. We want to have all of this information. And I know that I've joined News Nation because I'm seeing them try to represent the views of all different people and, and rely on local stations and news reporters to get that information uh, you know, siphoned to the top. I think you do an excellent job of trying to get the facts to your audience. Don't, I, I warn our young listeners, don't believe just because someone has a million plus followers <laughs> that they know right. what they're saying, because often they don't. And so you do have to go to reputable news organizations and those news organizations are, are sifting through disinformation, which is only gonna get worse in an artificial in intelligence era with deep fakes. I'm so glad you said that about followers because <laughs> you are right. Many people go to an Instagram account, they go to a Facebook account, they go to a X account, formerly Twitter, uh, and they look at people who they consider to be influencers and they might be, you know, the best noted, nationally noted authority on fashion or beauty or something else. But that does not make them an expert on this kind of geopolitical conflict. And uh, I echo what you say in terms of be careful what sources you are following, what sources you are mm -hmm. repeating, because oftentimes a lot of you know, students are just repeating what they've heard 
because a lot of bad information is out there, a lot of disinformation, a lot of misinformation, and we want our students in particular to be informed, and we want our colleges to step up and protect our students, and we want these corporations uh, to step up and value these young people. Thank you so much, Joanna. Thank you so much, Kristen. Uh, this is something we're going to continue to watch, a story that I am very fascinated about and really want to see my alma mater, Harvard in particular, do better uh, on this issue. This is uh, going to be a long and complex war, unfortunately, with lots of casualties. So our prayers to everyone that's lost someone in this war already and those that will continue to. Uh, when we come forward, uh, Robin Ayers in the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Don't touch that dial.